You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. In this episode, Dr. John addresses general health. Hi, my name is Dr. John DeYard, and I'm going to share with you today the benefits of a positive attitude. You know, in the article associated with this video, I cited as much of the research I could find that shows the benefits of a positive attitude. In one study, they showed that just laughing increases the immunoglobulins in your saliva to support better immune health. How powerful is that? Another study I wrote about a while back was when you write a love letter to someone, you document love, a positive attitude, that it actually lowers your cholesterol. Another study, they showed that when people left the hospital happier and more joyful in a joyful attitude, they had a significant reduction in readmission rates. Another study showed that vets who were injured had significantly higher recovery rates when they were optimistic versus pessimistic. In another study, they found that when people actually write down or journal their positive sentiments, they had people writing down for 10 weeks, they're they're, uh, counting their blessings or counting their obstacles. And when they counted their blessings, they had significant health improvements. They saw longer sleep, deeper sleep, better sleep. They exercised more, saw the doctor less, lots and lots of benefits. And they said that the specific benefits they saw when people express gratitude. I love gratitude. Gratitude is a sentiment that we use a lot in our transformational awareness meditation course that we teach because gratitude you know, comes from the word gratis, which means free. When you express gratitude, that deep, deep thankfulness, it's a, it's a, it's a technique of, of freeing yourself in an emotional way on a very deep level. It's very, very powerful. So expressing gratitude, just a great habit to get into, to glean the benefits of a, of a positive attitude. They show that when people express gratitude and they write about their life um, in, in, a, in a positive way, talk about the good things that happen in their life, that they actually live longer. Uh, many studies have shown that when people actually write about positive things, they have longer lives and better immunity and better health indexes. It's very, very powerful. They've also shown that when people, um, when people think about positive thoughts, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, the repair nervous system. When you think about negative thoughts, it activates the, the sympathetic fight or flight response, which is degenerative. And it's, you know, it's a bear chasing you, you get up a tree, save your life. It's an emergency degenerative chemistry and it breaks our body down. It also has been shown to decrease the, the, the good quality microbes in the intestinal tract when you're under sympathetic stress. So negative thoughts don't support healthy microbiology. Of course, we're 90% bugs, so that's important. But positive thoughts increase parasympathetic activity, turns on your digestion, reboots, rejuvenates the nervous system and the body, as well as supports the proliferation of good microbes. In Ayurveda, this is called a sattvic lifestyle. It means a healthy, positive, giving, caring, loving, nurturing lifestyle. Very, very valuable. I wrote an article once, and you can go check it out. It's called um, Your Emotional Body Type. And you take a questionnaire to see how sattvic, how positive basically is your lifestyle versus how negative. And we use Ayurvedic terms, but, but it's the same rules apply. And you can see exactly whether you're living a sattvic lifestyle or not. And how to then scrub some of those lacking of positive attributes that you might have. Very, very powerful thing. In fact, we have a whole one month course called the 28 day Ayurvedic challenge where we give you a different Ayurvedic lifestyle technique to support health 
and a, and a positive outlook, a sattvic lifestyle for 30 days. It's very, very powerful. So you can experience Ayurveda, the benefits of a sattvic lifestyle and the benefits of a, a, a positive attitude and what it does for your immunity, for your longevity, for your optimal health in many, many ways. Very powerful and simple, right? Just looking for ways to be positive and then taking action on that positivity lays down new neural pavement in your brain so you can drive down roads that are positive and life-supporting versus driving down those old negative roads that actually are you know, taking our microbes and our immunity and our overall health out. Lots of stuff you can do just simply by changing your attitude. The way to do that is change your lifestyle. So please check it out. Read the article where I, I list all the studies. It's pretty compelling. Lots of good motivation to get positive. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Viard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Viard, and I want to talk to you today about two of my very favorite Ayurvedic sayings. The first one is to do less and accomplish more, and the second is to do nothing and accomplish everything. Do less and accomplish more means live your life in harmony with the natural cycles. Don't fight against the current, paddle upstream every day, feel exhausted and wasted as a result of your daily routine. Go with the current so you're just steering as opposed to paddling against the current. And that's like eating with the seasons, eating at the right time of the day, going to sleep at the right time, waking up at the right time, exercising at the right time, all of the, the daily routine techniques that we talk about in Ayurveda, a big part of our 28-day Ayurveda challenge where you actually learn to live all these Ayurvedic principles of how to do less and accomplish more. But then there's the, the do nothing and accomplish everything. And this is really what we're gonna spend the rest of our life trying to figure out really. But I love the analogy of the sun. And the sun just sits up there 92 million miles away and it's just doing its thing. It's just shining brightly. And here on earth, the flowers feel safe in that sunlight to open and to blossom and literally follow the sun around the sky. So the sun sits there in a sense doing Nothing really means it's not doing what it does to make the flowers blossom. It doesn't care if the flowers blossom, doesn't care if you chop down its trees, doesn't care if you kill its cattle. It just continues to do its thing. It's doing itself, okay? Doing you. And that's really the goal of Ayurvedic philosophy is to do you, don't do them. And many of us spend a lot of energy trying to respond to other people's behavior. So for example, if someone is being mean to you and they're throwing emotional darts at you and they hurt your feelings, okay? You have three responses. The first response is to throw a dart back at them, right? Second response is to realize that they're throwing darts and they're dangerous, so walk away, run away, and leave them alone. And the third response is to realize that, with awareness, that the reason why they're throwing a dart at you in the first place is because they're hurt. You know, it's kind of like a rose bush after a few million years of getting trampled or eaten, they figured out if they grew some thorns, they would stop trampling us and we would be safe. So the rose bush grew some thorns. Maybe people who are throwing emotional darts at you actually just grew some emotional protective thorns. And when you feel them coming your way, it's because they were trampled and they're hurt. So if you throw a dart back at a hurt person, you're gonna hurt them more, expect more darts, right? If you retreat, run away, abandon them, they're gonna feel abandoned and that you don't really like them. And they're gonna say, see, I was right to throw a dart, put on my protective dart wall so I don't get hurt again. So that's why I continue to throw darts. The third opportunity 
is to realize that they're actually hurt. And instead of responding to their hurt behavior, to their darts, realize, respond based on you. Do you. And you are a loving, kind, joyful person. You have an awareness and understanding of why they're throwing the darts. So instead of acting based on their dart throwing, let their darts go by and respond based on your loving nature and act on that loving nature. And all of a sudden when you do you, which is act on your loving kind self through the window of compassion and understanding as to why they threw the dart in the first place, they feel incredibly disarmed. They feel like, wow, usually people throw darts at me, back at me, or they run away from me. And this person is being nice to me, softens the petals of their flower they feel safe to open themselves to you and have a relationship based on truth. And I really believe that's how we change the world, by some of us realizing that the reason people are being mean is because they're hurt. Instead of hurting them more, do you. Your nature isn't to go around hurting people. Your nature is loving, kind, joyful, and compassionate. So let's act on that. You know, all the Ayurvedic techniques, whether it be yoga, breathing, meditation, uh, uh, you know, living in harmony with nature, all the Ayurvedic techniques are, are self-awareness techniques. Matter of fact, we just completed our transformational awareness course, which is a, which is a, a meditation technique, six meditations to emotional freedom. And so many, so many of us, we meditate, then we go open our eyes and we go back into our world and we never take the awareness into action. The key is to become more self-aware of why am I reacting to their behavior? Instead of acting on them, start realizing how I can act based on my true loving nature. Lay down new neural pavement in my brain that says it's okay for me to let the petals of my flower open and shine my light through these very scary looking clouds. So instead of saying, hey, they're killing my cattle and they're chopping my trees down, so no more sunlight for them, I can't be nice and loving to them, why not? Why not take that risk to act on love? Random acts of kindness, random acts of joy, compassion. And what you begin to see is that you begin to change how you function. Meditation, yoga, breathing, all these techniques create a calm lake so you can see more clearly this crazy mind of ours. And with that clarity, take action to take transformational change action steps to free ourselves from these old patterns. And when you do that, you begin to start doing this thing that I like to call doing nothing and accomplishing everything. Because you're not doing something to elicit a response, you're just simply being yourself. And that feels like you're doing nothing. And it's easy to love someone, easy to give to someone. It in fact fills you up. We have the science to prove that when you act on love and joy and kindness, you trigger a hormone called uh, oxytocin. And the more that you stimulate it with actions of love and kindness and giving, the more you make and therefore the easier it is. So we know for a fact that the more you do that, the more it feels like you're doing nothing. Do nothing, accomplish everything. When people feel your sunlight, they feel safe to open the petals of their flower and let the truth of them out, right? When you act on the need for a response, which is a dopamine hormone, the more I stimulate a, a, myself to feel stimulated and then feel happy or buy something to get the, the, the return on that investment or to manipulate someone emotionally to make them love me, 
These are all based on a return on investment. If I don't get the return, I don't feel safe and secure. And that dopamine is diminishing. The more you, you stimulate it, the more stimulus you need to get it again and again and again. So it's, it's harder and harder to get that sense of satisfaction through dopamine, through doing them. But by doing you, producing oxytocin through these actions of love and kindness, you really do begin to feel like you're doing nothing and accomplishing everything. And that's why Ayurveda is so critically special because the whole thing is about teaching us how to become more self-aware, how to become more calm. I call it the eye of the hurricane, the calm that supports the winds of the activity. Instead of dodging refrigerators and all this crazy stress of life we have, create that inner composure and calm with meditation and yoga and breathing. I invite you to take our, our free meditation classes that we offer, learn about the transformational awareness technique so you can begin to learn how to create the awareness and the calm, and then more and most importantly, take transformational action steps in your life to free yourself from these emotional patterns of behavior that you may have created when you were a young child that were perfection in back then to protect you, but now as an adult, simply not serving. Let's learn how to do you and stop doing them and do nothing and accomplish everything. Please check out the article where I go into detail into this technique um, on how to do nothing and accomplish everything in the article associated with this video at lifespa.com. See you next time. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard and I want to talk to you today about how to choose a doctor. You know, there are three distinct systems of medicine we can choose from. There's Western or allopathic medicine designed to really do the job for the body save lives. There's naturopathic medicine, a natural system medicine that uses natural things to do the job for the body, like digestive enzymes or natural laxatives or bioidentical hormones, all doing the job for the body in a more natural way than Western medicine, which uses pharmaceuticals or drugs that just gets the job done. And then there's traditional systems of medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, and chiropractic, all systems designed to bring the body back into balance so the body can heal itself. I love the concept of these three different systems because it makes sense to me to start first by helping the body restore balance, restore normal function so the body can heal itself. The body does have a healing system and if we can employ that, that's the, the best first choice in my opinion. If that doesn't work, then let's say, well, let's employ some digestive enzymes or some natural laxatives and use naturopathic medicine to do the job for you in a natural way. And if that doesn't work, let's go to something like Western medicine that will save your life. You know, it's very important that we don't have an attitude or some type of opinion negatively towards Western medicine. It really does save lives. You know, I've raised six kids, my wife and I, and we've rarely used antibiotics, but when we did, we needed them and thank God they were there. I've had patients who didn't want to go to the medical doctor, didn't want to have their kids take antibiotics, and I've actually seen some children die because of that. So this is a risk we don't want to take. When you have three systems to choose from, you can begin to understand when to use natural medicines like naturopathic medicine, when to employ the principles of Ayurveda, which is about prevention. I wrote my book, Perfect Health for Kids, all my books really, about how to understand how to keep your body in balance so you can have an optimized healing system. But if that doesn't work, we employ naturopathic medicine. If that doesn't work, Western medicine is there to save your life. So please 
go to my website at lifespot.com, read the article associated with this video so you get more information about how to take care of yourself and your family in the most optimal way. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Diard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard, and I want to talk to you today about the difference between extracts and whole herbs. You know, back in the 1970s, uh, standardized extracts were created to create a standardized dose. So every herb, every capsule had the exact same dosage of the constituents, active ingredients in the herbs. Unfortunately, in nature, it doesn't really work that way. In nature, depending on the soil and the location, the constituents vary consistently. I'm always a big believer to getting as close to nature as possible when we take natural herbal supplements. Now, most good herbal companies are always trying to standardize their extracts to the, as close to the blueprint of nature as possible. In Europe, it's required that they stay close to that blueprint. Unfortunately, in America, that's not necessarily the case. You can have companies that advertise that this herb is a thousand times the effectiveness and strength of another herb. That's because in America, we're allowed to create extracts that are super potentized, and those are very dangerous. Those are very risky. But again, most herbal companies are trying to match, in America, the blueprint of the original herb. And I think that it has a, is very, very useful. I believe that the extracts can be used in a medicinal sense. They are still somewhat of a concentrated form. They are still more potent than the whole herb. The body still seems to build a tolerance to them. So we want to get on them, get better, and get off. Where the whole herbs are like foods from your garden. You take them, you can take them as for as long as you like. The body never seems to build a tolerance, and I like that idea. In Ayurveda, when we try to make a more potent formula, we take, for example, turmeric. If you take turmeric powder, 16 parts, one part black pepper, put them together, research has shown that it increases the absorption rate by over 2,000%. And that increased absorption study by just adding two simple whole herbs together, turmeric and black pepper, launched a, a litany of studies on turmeric for cancer and other uses of turmeric because now they found a way to make it that much more bioavailable. So in Ayurveda, we always try to combine herbs in a traditional uh, way that's been used for thousands of years without taking the herb, extracting one constituent, and then sort of potentizing that and trying to then kind of recreate a blueprint of the whole herb. I do believe in extracts for medicinal purposes, but I do believe more on, uh, for using whole herbs on a regular basis. Most of my herbs are whole herbs, although I do have some extracts, again, for those medicinal purposes. There was an herb called ephedra. You probably remember it. It was used for weight loss, and the FDA got their hands on it and, 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 uh, and made it uh, illegal for us to use ephedra. Well, there were 1,400 study uh, reports, complaints, of people having side effects and major problems by using this plant, ephedra. All 1,400 of those complaints were from the extract, and not one of those complaints was from the whole herb. So again, another, uh, you know, I think the extract done in a safe way, not the thousand times the, the, the potency extract, but good quality extracts can be used safely. But the whole herb is always safe. So I always encourage you to look for whole herbs first. They may not be as potent as the extract, 
but they're going to deliver a safe dose. And if you combine them correctly, like in Ayurveda, we often deliver a, a, you know, a dose that, in my opinion, can even be more effective without the issues of dependency and the bodybuilding a tolerance to that. This other issue with extracts is sometimes they, they always standardize the extract to one of the major constituents, the one thing that they think is the most active ingredient. And sometimes they don't know what the active ingredient is. Sometimes they sort of guess what their best bet is, like ashwagandha is, is uh, typically uh, standardized to the withanaloids, which is really a guess. No one's really sure what the major ingredient for active ingredient for ashwagandha is. St. John's wort, a popular uh, agent for mood support. Uh, they always thought hyperosome was the major active ingredient. It was standardized for years uh, to the hyperosome content. And now they realize that the major active ingredient is hyperiform, which is a different constituent, a different chemical. So, you know, whenever we start messing with nature scientifically, I always find that we sort of have to backtrack and retreat. So um, the initial approach when you're treating yourself with herbs is always be safe. Use whole herbs first. You'll never run into trouble. You don't have interactions. You don't have any of the major side effects and problems that we see uh, with some of the extracts. Kava kava, another example, used for thousands and thousands of years for mood support uh, in Oceania and around, all throughout the South Pacific. Uh, and then when uh, we got our hands on it, we extracted the kava lactones and made it into a potent herb. That extract had liver toxicity issues and the FDA has now tagged that as a liver toxin. And again, now this particular plant that was once phenomenal as a whole plant has been tagged uh, for being a toxic substance. So, you know, again, always think about, you know, using extracts from qualified professionals, and I always think of using them for a limited time. Get on the medicine, get better, get off the medicine, use whole herbs, combine them in an appropriate manner. That's the safest way to go. And please, I write in detail about this issue of whole herbs versus extracts, and hopefully this will allow you to safely navigate your health food store shelves. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Diar. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diar. I want to talk to you today about the potential risk of using your cell phone, the potential risk that we get from the radiation emitted from a cell phone tower, and even the potential risk of the Wi-Fi signal. This is a very controversial topic, but it's important for us to talk about. The federal government actually puts out standards for cell phone manufacturers to basically disclose what's called the specific absorption rate distance, which means how far a cell phone is allowed to be up against your skin. Now, the new iPhone 6, the, the, the SAR score is about almost a quarter of an inch, which means that that cell phone, by manufacturer standards, is not allowed to be touching your skin. It's supposed to be about a quarter inch away. Well, how many of us strap it to our arms, put it against our ear, hold it in our pocket all day long? These are against federal guidelines. Now, we're going to talk about the research about whether it's, what the research is in terms of cancer causing and issues like that in just a minute. But it, nobody tells you that you're not supposed to put this thing against your ear. Um, and that is the federal and manufacturer guidelines. So think about that and how important that is. Now, cell phone towers emit radiation, and it's important that we understand that 
that the FCC is actually using, and they've been accused by the Department of Interior for doing this, using 30-year-old outdated technology to determine whether a cell phone tower radiation emission is safe. And they based it based on the thermal uh, generation, the heat generated by the radiation, which we all know when you put a cell phone next to your head, it can heat up. They measure that. But there are new techniques and new standards that they can use to actually be more accurate and more precise about this, about what is safe and what is not safe with regard to radiation towers. And the Wall Street Journal put out a report that showed that 30,000 towers in America exceed the legal limits of what the radiation is emitting from a cell phone tower. And the Department of Interior got upset about this and said, you know what, they accused the FCC of using this antiquated you know, technology and basically citing that the endangered animals in these remote regions where these towers are and other animals and even workers are being exposed to unhealthy and illegal levels of radiation. So which is sort of really interesting when you begin to look at this. Now, the research is another very, very confusing topic. And in the article, I did an article and a blog about this subject. And in the article associated with this video, I talk a lot about the research on both sides of the aisle. I even cite all the frequently asked questions from the CDC about cell phones and the, 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 all the government agency, FDA, FCC, the CDC, they all are extremely conservative and won't take the leap to say that cell phone exposure actually causes any type of, of cancers. In one study called the Interphone study where they actually measured, measured over 5,000 people with different types of brain cancers from 13 different countries, they found that with regular use of cell phone, there was really no increase of any type of brain cancer. But if you use the cell phone 1,640 hours over the last 10 years, that was considered heavy use, which is a half an hour a day of the phone on the same side of the head, there was a 40% increased risk of brain tumors, uh, which is pretty significant and there's a lot of folks who probably do use their phone up against their head more than a half an hour a day. So while the, while the American Cancer Association, these people poo-poo these kinds of studies, you know, we have to look at the possibility that there, there definitely are studies showing that there are risks. I have to say that, that, that I, I agree that the research is not confirmed. I have to agree that the research is not in any way conclusive, but there is enough studies and plenty of them, and I cite many of them, that show that there is changes in thyroid function, sperm function, and, um, and cellular damage as a result of cell phone radiation. And whether it's high enough for it to cause problems, this is where the, it is somewhat inconclusive because there are studies that show there, are, there is no damage. But just because we're not quite there yet doesn't mean that we should just you know, you know, think that they're perfectly safe. Why not, on the safety side, use some precaution? You know, lots of kids put their cell phone under the pillow and then you go to sleep with their cell phone next to their head. This makes no sense and it's completely you know, unnecessary risk. Why not have a flick, like in our house, we flick a switch and all the Wi-Fi goes off in the house. So the whole house is shut down. Turn all the cell phones off so there is no radiation in the house. Take your cell phone, which has a location service to, uh, button, which, which makes your cell phone like a little radio satellite transmitter which, so, it can, so it can track you for traffic and things like that. Turn that off unless you're actually using it because otherwise it's pulling way more radiation than you actually need just to make a phone call. Um, using earbuds or using your speakerphone, um, not storing it in your pocket while you're, you know, all day long. Put it on your desk away from you. 
um, you know, when you're not using it. These are simple things and simple regulations. And even the CDC says that, that, that the cell phone radiation itself is a potential human carcinogen. And, and, and that's stated right in their frequently asked questions. And that we should use precaution around cell phones. But because these government agencies haven't come out and said, hey, you know what, there is risk here, we should take precautions, no one is really hearing any of them, and we're not taking any precautions. So I really believe that we, we really should, you know, kind of you know, read between the lines here. There is potential risk if there's accumulation, or at least we surely do think there is, and there sure seems to be some studies that, that convinced me for sure when I read these studies that I'm not gonna keep the cell phone away from me as, as best I can and be very cautious about when I put that thing up against my head. There's no doubt about that when you read these studies, you, you know, you, you don't get concerned. And, I, and, and for some reason, our government isn't willing to take that step. So, so hopefully, you know, read the articles associated with this video about the blog. I, I cite all the research that I can. I pretty, I, I tried to, to create as fair as a perspective as possible so we can really look and say, yeah, you know, cell phones are not dangerous, but there are precautions that we can take to, to make darn sure that we're in the safe zone when we use our cell phone. Please check out those articles. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about the royal pace. In fact, I want to challenge you to take one day out of your week and live the royal pace, the pace of royalty. You'd never expect the Queen of England to be racing down the hall, to be late for a meeting, woofing down their breakfast, you know, drinking a shake for a meal after a workout, getting in their car, racing to work, hitting Starbucks for a chai or a latte to get to work. Their pace is royal. It's calm. It would be uncharacteristic of them to raise their voice or yell or scream or get flustered. They have a very royal way about them. So I'm asking you to take one day out of your week and live that royal pace. You know, they say if you want to be a royal, you must act like a royal. And if you act like a royal, you must know the royal pace. And that's what this article is about. It takes you step by step through what the royal pace is. Uh, for example, if we, before you go to bed at night, a royalty would never be up until 2 in the morning searching the internet or, you know, you would expect the royalty to be taking a bath at 8 o'clock, in bed with a good book at 9, at 9.30 going to sleep. This way you can wake up early, fresh, refreshed, take the dogs for a walk, do some yoga, breathing meditation, sit down, have a relaxing meal. Royalty never eat in the, on the run, they never eat standing up, they never eat in their car, they take time. So on this day, we're going to take time to really enjoy every aspect of our day. We're going to sit down to each meal. There's no rushing. And like I said in the article, there are the rules of what the royal pace is. So you can see exactly how the royalty would do this particular activity and how we can you know, inclu include or employ the royal pace in this particular activity. One of them is absolutely no rushing. So we go to bed early, we wake up early, we get a good start in the day, but we're going in a royal pace. We don't raise our voice because royalties don't have to do that. They can talk just calmly and quietly. And you might even realize that with your kids and you might even be more effective when you don't have to or you don't intentionally raise your voice. It's only one day, you know. Other one is don't stoop. Don't stoop to the lower things. On this day, you walk above the fray. You, are, you might see some issues, the bedroom's not made, the bed's not made, you know, room's not being fixed or cleaned up. We're going to let it go. Um, 
the, the royalty, for example, might see some dust on the wall and then later on ask who the maid is and then, of course, have them fired. But as in the royal pace day, we're going to notice that these things are there. We can call our children over. One of the other rules is to be 100% and, and totally present. And you talk to your child um, and you, with a very calm voice and you let them know that this was their job, this was their chore, this was their, they were expected to do this and they didn't do this. And you have a conversation about it and you just again take this royal pace. This may be difficult, but it's only one day and it's just to go about your day realizing I'm not going to let these things get to me today. Race here, race there, go here, go there, come back, feel stressed. I'm going to have the royal pace. If you, if you want to have a nice meal and you feel flustered that day, have your favorite restaurant, you know, you know, pick up the food and bring it home and set a nice table and sit down and have that family meal. This is not a multitasking day. This is not a day where you're doing five things at once. Royalty don't do that. They, they sit and they're relaxed and they're calm and they do one thing at a time. And they're 100% present and presence and focus is there uh, one day at a time. It's like a, their life is like a walking meditation, a witnessing, a becoming more aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. You're walking with increased awareness. You're completely, fully present on this day. It's the day of the royal pace. And I encourage you to take this challenge. It's a fun thing to do. Begin to create a contrast between the life of complete composure and calm and the life of crazy busyness that unfortunately catches up to us and runs and rules our lives. So I want to see if I can create that contrast. And that one day, yeah, some stuff might not get done. There's some things you may not have corrected about the house or this or that thing. But you stay above that and see if you can experience what it's like to be a royal for a day. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard. I want to talk to you today about energy drinks. In 2009, a young 14-year-old girl drank two 24-ounce cans of an energy drink called Monster and died. Uh, the coroner report showed that there was caffeine toxicity and made many folks wonder if these energy drinks are actually safe. Now, there's about 13 wrongful death lawsuits filed against an energy drink called Five Hour Energy, about 93 FDA reports complaining about these energy drinks being toxic and dangerous to one's health. So there's a lot of investigation taking place, whether or not these are providing too much caffeine. Well, from the caffeine perspective, you know, one eight ounce can of energy drink is about 80 gram, uh, milligrams of caffeine. One eight ounce cup of coffee is about 80 milligrams of caffeine. It takes about 16,000 milligrams of caffeine to kill you. It's about 100 cups of coffee. Uh, it takes about 5,000 for you to get an overdose, but only 400 milligrams of caffeine a day is considered unsafe, and for a teenager, it's only 100. So it's very easy for children, young adults, teenagers, and the average age of these energy drink users are about 17 years old. So it's very easy for these kids to uh, overdose in caffeine, and so much of it depends on the individual sensitivity. Some kids can drink a ton of it and be okay and some kids can't. I think it really boils down to individual sensitivity. But there's some interesting facts. The, in 2010, the Australian Poison Troll Center did a report and they found like 297 complaints against these energy drinks. Uh, one third of them were actually with co-ingesting other things like alcohol and other stimulants and things like that. But two thirds of them were actually just from the energy, energy drink alone. So it's 
questionable whether it's you know the individual sensitivity, the that sensitivity on top of other uh, uh, drinks, substances, alcohol stimulants that can be compounding. Other thing that happens with kids is they drink a lot of alcohol, they drink they drink a lot of caffeine, and their body builds a tolerance to it. So they keep ratcheting up the amount of alcohol, the amount of uh, caffeine that they can drink. And now all of a sudden, what used to you know get them energy to study all night was a couple of cups of coffee. Now they need six or seven or ten cups of coffee, and that's when they run the risk of overusing these energy drinks, which is you know, particularly significant. Not to mention the fact that these energy drinks are not just made from caffeine. In fact, they're loaded with amino acids, which are concentrated proteins. They're loaded with vitamins in concentrated forms. They're loaded with other exotic herbs that are stimulating and drive energy in the body in other ways other than caffeine. So when you combine this whole kind of cocktail of energizing agents, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, herbs, we don't have enough research to know how these interact. When you take extracts of plants and you put them together, you're basically taking the active ingredient of a plant and you're concentrating it, you're giving it to a child, and you're taking many of those together, and that's when we run into interaction. So I believe that a lot of the issues here are, number one, overdoing the caffeine. Number two, not having the, 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 the manufacturers not really knowing what happens when you combine so many of these exotic ingredients together and then take them at high, high doses, which kids will do because they do build a tolerance to these things and that becomes a problem. So I really think you have to look at these energy drinks carefully. Caffeine is oftentimes giving the body energy which it doesn't really have. And if we are stimulating the body to make energy which it doesn't have, it's going to go into debt and it's going to become exhausted and then therefore not have the resiliency or tolerance to handle that kind of stimulation down the road and that can cause problems. And in young kids with individual sensitivities to alcohol, to caffeine, to stimulants, it can be very, very dangerous. So please be aware. And there are many natural ways, herbs that I believe in using my practice, there are many herbs we call adaptogenic herbs, herbs like ashwagandha that can give you energy in the morning, but also put you to sleep at night. Try drinking a glass or a can of Monster and going to sleep. It's not going to happen because it's stimulating you to make energy which you don't have. Other herbs like shilajit and brahmi and Gokshara, herbs that I talk about in the article associated with this video, herbs that naturally rebuild and rejuvenate the body so it has the energy to become, energy to, if it has to push itself through the night and study, it can do that. Vitamin B12 is one of the major ingredients in these, in these drinks, but when you take vitamin B12 by itself, it can be very safe as a water-soluble vitamin. That combined with so many other herbs, amino acids, and stimulants, it can be at risk. And also vitamin D, a deficiency that affects about 80% of the American population, can also be a factor that cuts down on the stamina and allows this stress that our kids are oftentimes under, whether it be studying or late night movie watching or video games incessantly, this can all deplete the nervous system and put them at risk not only for immune issues, but also uh, you know, maintaining stable mood and also optimal health. And also at high levels can be very dangerous. So please read the article associated with this video. Let's get educated about these energy drinks and be logical about them. You know, in moderation, they're going to be fine. But for a sensitive child who's sensitive to foods, this is a road I wouldn't hoe because we don't have enough information to know how many, how all these concentrated extract substances work together at high doses over the long term. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard. I want to talk to you today about marijuana. You know, marijuana has been legal now in certain states for medical use. It's also been recently legalized for recreational use in certain states. There's research on both sides of the aisle. Lots of research saying there's benefits, medical uses of marijuana that are hard to dispute. Uh, it's really phenomenal for chronic pain, neurogenic pain, fibromyalgia pain, the symptoms of MS, cancer, and AIDS. Marijuana provides benefit and support for those folks, helps bring back a healthy appetite, reduces the inflammation of glaucoma. Lots and lots of studies that you can find on the benefits of marijuana. On the other side of the aisle, you have lots of research showing that there's risks involved, and risks involved in anything that's a drug, really, in terms of side effects. There's always going to be side effects. And the side effects for marijuana are much, much worse for kids when they start in their adolescent years. And one in 15 high school kids are using marijuana, and now that its medical use is becoming popular, kids are thinking it's okay, no problem. And the reality is that when kids start, they can have, or more likely have, irreversible cognitive damage reduction in IQ and intelligence when they start early. If you start later on in life, you're not so likely to have those, those, that kind of impact. So the dangers are this kind of whole kind of legalizing, making marijuana seem like it's a harmless drug is risky because it is a drug, it is addictive, and it does have permanent damage according to the studies. And I cite the research and I cite all the references for that research on both sides of the aisle uh, in the article associated with this video. So please look into that. It's really important that we are educated so we can educate our kids about the benefits the potential dangers of this. And there's just no question that, that, uh, that, mar that marijuana use has been linked to school dropouts, uh, the, the use of other drugs which can be more dangerous, and many mental health concerns. So it's important. From the Ayurvedic perspective, you know, medical marijuana gets rid of pain. That's the number one thing that it does, gets rid of pain. Well, in Ayurveda, there's an old saying that says, the pain is directly across from the bliss, the love, the power, your true self, you could say. And the reason for the pain is to get your attention so you can go to the pain, through the pain, access who you are, and let that version of yourself out, if that makes any sense. So the whole point of pain was sort of a roadmap. And we have a culture, you get, you know, you, you get depressed, you take an antidepressant, you have pain, you take an aspirin, you have a painkillers. We don't allow pain anymore. We're not allowed to feel it because it's uncomfortable. But Traditionally, it was understood that pain was actually a good thing and it was a roadmap for you to go through the pain and you come out the other side a better person. I think we all know that. And I think we all know that we, we are a culture that eradicates pain, probably too good at that. Well, in Ayurveda, when you go through the pain, you actually have a spiritual growth, an emotional growth, level of maturity. The, some of the research when I did the, for this article, I found that, the, that the, when, when, I, when you look at alcohol anonymous, they say in some of their research that the minute that the person starts to use drugs or alcohol or marijuana, their emotional maturity stops at that level. They don't grow emotionally at that point because they're blocking the pain. And it's important for us to go through that. So that's one piece of information. Now, when in Ayurvedic medicine, it's important for us to experience the pain and go through it. Now, there's three mental body types. One is called sattva. I've reported on this in the past. Sattva is the heart wide open, giving like the sun, feeling willing to be vulnerable enough to be your full, delicate, vulnerable, powerful self on, on the planet. Sort of like a saint, you could say. 
that's risky on this planet, definitely risky as a kid. And we all use our senses to find other ways of becoming satisfied. Money, power, fame, candy, ice cream, Coke, sodas, things that stimulate our senses make us satisfied. Because traditionally, ideally, we're satisfied just being joyful and loving for no reason, because that's just our nature. But that's difficult in our culture, and we're, we're, we're constantly being, being attracted and exposed to different sensory stimuli that take us outside and provide temporary levels of satisfaction. And that's called rajas, rajasic behavior, stimulating the senses that feel satisfied. But it's never enough, because it's all about the mind. The mind wants a bigger car, a bigger house, a bigger yard. It's never a big, you know, more shoes, more clothes, more the best next computer, the newest iPhone. We're constantly looking for that next thing to temporarily stimulate us through our senses. Well, that stimulation gets overused, worn out. After a while, it doesn't do it for you anymore. And you become overstimulated, depleted, and exhausted. The mind then goes to wanting to withdraw, to protect, and to check out. Alcohol, marijuana, use, other drugs are what we call tamasic drugs. And they put you into a cocoon, a wall, where you don't feel anything any longer. And you're safe in that place. The whole major thrust of what drives us as human beings is to be safe. We always wanted to be safe as kids. We wanted our parents to love us. So we became a straight A student or became a class clown or something to make them love us. So we felt safe. And when we started to realize the kids were mean and it was unsafe, we decided to find other ways to become safe, becoming a class clown or, or a bully or looking for stimulation through our senses, ice cream, uh, candy, sweets, things like that, make us feel good but it's temporary. And eventually the senses and the body gets exhausted and it looks for ways to recluse and withdraw from society. It's a dangerous place. But pot, marijuana, is a tamasic drug. It actually stops the brain from thinking, stops us from feeling so we feel safe, and it blocks the pain. And the pain is the way out of that tamasic place to re-enter into a stimuli, stimulated world and back into an experience of yourself, if any of this makes sense. So the idea is that when you are taking a lot of marijuana, we use it as an escape, as a way to check out of the world. And it's much more difficult to re-enter in the world because it's safer there. And, and, and that's what makes marijuana so risky because it becomes, you become addicted to go into this tamasic protective cocoon where you stop feeling. But we must force this issue and re-enter into this world of stimulation so we could hopefully get back to what we're really truly longing for, which is a deeper experience of ourselves to be loving and joyful for no reason. So those are the risks from the Ayurvedic perspective is that it is a tamasic drug which has no access to your heart, to your true self. The mind, when you're stimulated in a rajasic behavior, has some access to the truth of your heart, your true self, but lots of stimulation that we can choose one or the other. And when you're living in a sattvic environment, in a sattvic world, you are deeply connected and very content just being the sun, being yourself. You don't need anything to be satisfied. The risk of the, 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 of the tamasic world, no access to the heart. The rajasic world has choice. The sattvic world is content. It's, it is all heart, all love, all consciousness. It's deeply content and joyful for, and loving for no reason. So please read this very, I think, very interesting article and in perspective on marijuana. Definitely let your kids know early on if they're starting, this is a dangerous road to hoe. Don't let your kids do that without becoming aware and make sure that you have 
if you've been properly educated. So I please encourage you, read the article associated with this video. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about a very important subject that many of us are uncomfortable talking about, and that is the consistency, color, shape, size, frequency of our bowel movements. Before we just go and flush the toilet, it's important for us to take a look and make sure that we don't see any inconsistencies or some variables in this tool that could be a problem that we can pick up early on. So it's a very important kind of preventive technique. If you start seeing something odd in your stool, like blood in your stool, you need to go get that checked out. Now your body type uh, is very important as well. Everybody's going to have a little bit of a different variation on a healthy bowel movement. Now the normal stool is a banana-shaped stool. It's a uh, full, complete elimination within the first hour of waking up. It's not sticky. It's easy to wipe and clean. It doesn't leave a residue on the toilet. But your body type will give some variations on that theme. And in the article associated with this video, I go over every body type, every kind of stool that's normal for your body type, and every type of stool that's abnormal for your body type, and also what you can do to bring those stools back into balance. But for this video, I want to talk about some of the outliers and give you some insights to how to begin to think about what's really happening in your stool. Now, if you have mucus in your stool, for example, that's a deal breaker. That means the villi are producing so much mucus due to some type of irritation that the villi are bogged down in this mucus, which means they don't absorb nutrition well. They don't detoxify well. The lymph on the outside of the gut wall is probably compromised and toxins are defaulting back to your liver and can cause all kinds of problems. So if you have a lot of mucus in your stool, that's the deal breaker. We need to get that fixed up. Sometimes the, the, if you have undigested food in your stool, so you see food that should have been broken down in your stomach, that's an indication that your stomach acid is probably not strong enough and it's not emulsifying these foods and you're seeing it in your stool. So you have to figure out why is my stomach acid not being producing enough and, and what's really going on there? Well, that's usually a bile flow issue because your liver is involved in making bile. And if you don't have enough bile, then the stomach acid won't be produced well. And if you have not enough bile, sometimes you just have no color in your stool because your bile can, is what makes the brown color of your stool. So if you have a clay colored or a gray stool, that means you're not producing any bile. You could also have a greasy or a shiny stool. That also means that you're not producing enough bile to emulsify the fats, and the fats are going through your intestinal tract undigested, and you have a greasy or a shiny stool. That's also a, a, a problem. You know, a black stool means that you have uh, an issue where you have um, perhaps blood upstream, and it's kind of dried blood and it's turned black. That's a real important thing to go get checked out as well. Sometimes this tool is yellow or green. Now that means too much bile. Well, too much bile isn't really that common. Sometimes it could have been from too many vegetables. Sometimes it means the intestinal wall is so irritated that it's letting everything go through so fast that the bile doesn't have time to absorb and turn the stool a brown color. So it's important to understand and begin to understand what's really going on in that stool. Some people have really thin stools and that's usually due to a lack of fiber. And there's different types of fiber based on nature and the seasons that they're harvested in. In the winter, when it's cold and dry and the intestinal tract dries out, the body really wants these soluble fibers like chias and flax and oatmeal, which are slimy and gooey, to protect and coat the intestinal wall. And in the spring and summer, we want the insoluble fibers like leafy greens and vegetables and lots of those vegetables, which provide cellulose to, and both fibers 
hook onto toxins and they escort them out of the stool, provide bulk for a nice, big, large, complete elimination. It's very, very important that we have you know, a healthy and regular and consistent and not variable stool. So many problems start in our ability, our lack of ability to digest and eliminate well, and our bowel movements are giving us a kind of a bird's eye view of what's happening in that department every single day. So I encourage you to read the article associated with this video, learn your body type in that article, see what bowel movements are, are appropriate for you, which ones are not, and then begin to take some measures to uh, bring that stool and your digestion and your elimination back into balance. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.